Before diving into today's episode, did you know that this podcast has a supporters club? By becoming a member, you not only gain access to exclusive content, but also play a crucial role in supporting your favorite podcast. See the link in the episode description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right. Well, since we couldn't necessarily get to an episode last night, we're going to have to go ahead and try to do a two-in-one Monster Rally special. But I don't think that's a bad idea, especially with all the terror tales right now and a special secret show tonight. So let's go ahead and give the people what they came here for. Welcome to the J-Man Show here on... J360 Radio! J360 Legion, how are you all doing tonight? Welcome to the J-Man Show for episode 275. I am your host, J-Man, of course, and indeed it is still the 2022 Monster Fest. And you know what? It's been a roaring ride, y'all, because hey, I found some of the Hammer Horror movies that I've been wanting to look at for quite some time, especially Revenge of Frankenstein featuring the best Frankenstein of all time, Peter Cushing. And, you know, some of you guys will probably have your favorites, but, you know, the thing about it is, it's my bit, so my favorite was Peter Cushion. So you just got to deal with that, okay? But all in all, like, hey, much in the same way that he is the best Frankenstein for some people, the good doctor, mind you, not the monster. The same can be said for Christopher Lee being the best Count Dracula. You can't deny it. Like, them Hammer Horror movies were just ahead of their game. And they're aging well, too. Like, I was looking at one with the fabulous Ingrid Pitt in it called The Vampire Lovers. And you see, I've rated these films before. Not the Frankenstein one, but definitely Count Dracula and definitely and definitely The Vampire Lovers. Vampire Lovers is really, really good. You know, it's just that right feel, and then all the women are sexy, and it's just like, I can't get enough. <laughs> Take me back into your coven. <laughs> please, please. But enough about my libido, plus the missus wouldn't like it. But I don't know why she'd complain. She's a vampire herself. And I love every bit of her. But, you know, that's just the way that'd be going sometimes. It's time for me to go ahead and give you guys another helping of some nightmare tales. And needless to say, a lot of you actually enjoyed the last episode we did talking about the many cryptid monsters out here. But once again, it's like, you know, the way our world is and how things have changed over time, you never know what monster could be lurking out there roaming around and what exactly can inspire us to create great movies and all sorts of other things look i saw smile not too long ago right okay decent film not bad but you know i prefer a little bit more and you see the thing about it is hopefully they'll get a sequel to that one i know a lot of y'all went to go see um halloween ends whatever i'm not really gonna nosedive into it not for the moss fest anyway but i will say like ugh. Ugh. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, then. To each our own. Pick your poison, as they say. But I'm looking at, like, right now, uh, Dr. Terrors. Um, I think it's called House of Terrors by Dr. Terrors, is it? Or, like, no. Dr. Terrors Terrifying Tales. Or it's, like, five different stories in one movie. And also, Dr. Terrors played by Peter Cushing. So, of course, man, this should be Peter Cushing Day, because he's just popping up in all my movies tonight. And you know what? I couldn't think of a better actor to go ahead and showcase. But I can't do it here. I'm going to have to do it on a little special event for you guys later in the fest. And indeed, we have like four more weeks to go, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you include like the last... No, not four more weeks. Three more weeks. Hey, we're going to hit. 
So it's going to be pretty cool. I'd love to go for another week if you could, but I'm not going to do it. Nope, because that's Anniversary Road coming up. Oh, and speaking of which, before we nosedive into the stories, i got to remind you guys that Jams 55 is happening. It's been announced. Please submit your tracks. I would prefer to go ahead and get a little jump on it right now because you don't want to wait until next Thursday at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern just to have your package there, okay? Slapping stuff together is not strategic, and it's not the best thing. So if anything, you know, you want to go ahead and make your impact, show that you care, submit those tracks, and I don't hear no excuses that, hey, it's just not Halloween vibe. Hey, in the middle of the show, it could be whatever the hell I want to be. I'm running it. So it's like this. Showcase your best. I'll judge what's on the show and what's not. All right? (laughs) That's the best way to work it all out. And speaking of which, though, some of you have been paying attention, and some of you have not, but also next week will be Jams TV 4. Yep, next Friday will be, let's see, not next Friday, but the Friday after next will be Jams TV 4. Yep, and at that point, you know, just submit your video, we'll make it the best way we can make it, we're just going to give the people one hell of a show, and enjoy each other's company, which is what we do anyway. So, without any further ado, let me go ahead and get started on your stories for tonight. Okay? (laughs) Now, some of these have been really, really creepy, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to tell you this. Spare no expense on, like, any of the fright and the chills that you get from some of these. These are experts from different books. So, I will have the list of the books right there in the description so you can take a read of them sometime. And so that you can get your feel of them. You get my meaning? Alright, because I am not responsible for any of the shock value you get out of this stuff. Okay, the first stories are going to be excerpts from this book called Freaky Briefs. 75 Short Absurdities, written by Jeff Strand. Hmm. You know, this guy actually wrote some pretty cool material. Not to mention, most of the the crazy stuff in these stories is very comical. So, you know, if anything else, let's go ahead and have some light appeal with our stories. You might find something really, really nice, you know? Uh-huh. And, of course, you know, we always support the authors here at J360 Productions, of course. So, the first one you're going to hear is called Headspin. While the other kids in my neighborhood were playing Star Wars, my sister and I would play The Exorcist. We always fought over who got to be Reagan. Jill was a girl and thus had a more valid claim to be the role, but everyone knows that Regan is more fun to play than Father Karras or Father Marin. I guess, I don't know. One day Jill was being especially pouty, but I was eight, a full year older than her, and therefore a lot smarter. Mmm, playing a dangerous game there, Bill. Uh, Father Karras is way better, I insisted. Demonic possession is boring. You get to pretend to have a crisis of faith. Another crazy to faith. It's stupid. I want to throw the pea soup. Alright, let's rework that. You threw the pea soup last time? I did not. You got to throw it the last two times. It's not fair. I'll make you a deal, I said. Let me throw the soup this time, and you can throw it the next three times. You promise? Yep, I lied. Okay. A few minutes later, I laid on the bed in a nightgown. Though we strove for accuracy to the source material, only one of my hands was tied to the bedpost because I needed the other hand free to hurl a bowl of pea soup in my sister's face. The first time we played Exorcist, we turned the thermostat as low as it could go, but we weren't able to get the room cold enough to see our breath. Mom and Dad were furious. We should make you pay the AC bill out of your allowance, they shouted. After that, we just settled for pretending that the devil had lowered the temperature of the room. I'd beat that ass too. I mean, come on, man. (laughs) <laughs> we replaced certain forbidden words with fart. As I lay thrashing on my parents' bed, Jill informed me that the power of Christ compelled me. I snarled and growled. I opened my mouth wide. Jill squeezed her eyes tightly closed, and then I flung the pea soup, bowl and all. Obviously, I wasn't supposed to hurl the bowl at her. I'd gotten too deep into character. I've managed to shout out a warning, but I can only manage a flemmic croak before the soup splattered against her face, followed by the glass bowl bonking her in the nose. She cried in pain and fell to the floor. I was going to get in so much trouble. Get up, I said, sitting up. You're okay, you're okay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm bleeding, she wailed. 
You're okay, you're okay. We'll just put some ice on it. Hurry up and untie me. We need to clean up the suit before Mom and Dad get home. You broke my nose. No, I didn't, I insisted. I wouldn't be able to understand what you were saying if, if I broke your nose. You're okay. Untie me. Jill stood up and her hand tight, her hand pressed tightly to her face. There was more blood trickling between her fingers than I would expect from a non-broken nose, but I was sure that she was totally fine. I couldn't recall a single instant in which somebody had died from getting a bowl of pea soup thrown in their face. I'm not playing Father Karras anymore, she shouted. I want to be Regan. Okay, okay, okay. I said, knowing that if I didn't let my bratty sister have her way, she'd refuse to work with me on a cover story for her nose injury, and I'd get in big trouble. She climbed onto the bed and untied me. We hurried into the kitchen, and I pressed a bag of frozen broccoli against her face for a couple of minutes until the flow of blood stopped. Her nose wasn't grotesquely disfigured, so everything seemed fine. Open up another can of pea soup, she said. That was the last one. Then I'm telling Mom and Dad. No, 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 no. What about chicken noodle? The devil doesn't barf chicken noodle soup. I think we have some green food coloring. I climbed up onto the counter and opened the cupboard. But we only had red, blue, and yellow food coloring. If I only remembered that yellow and blue make green, this tale would have a less tragic, less tragic conclusion. I'm calling Mom at work, said Jill, walking towards the phone. Don't! You can still be Regan without the, without the pea soup. No, you can't. That's the most fun part. No, the pea soup is boring. I said, trying not to panic. Anyone can have pea soup. The coolest part of the movie is when she spins her head in a circle. Remember that? Wasn't that neat? That was way better than throwing a bowl of stupid soup, right? I guess. I put my hands around her neck. It went poorly. Wow. Uh huh. You know, um. This is obviously a family without a Nintendo, right? You know, there's other ways of going about it, celebrating All Hallows' Eve without having to go knee-deep into that. I mean, I admire the dedication and all, but at the same time, um, only an owl can do that trick. And needless to say, I think he's in a deeper pot of shit than he was without, like, going for the whole other thing. You You understand what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> she, where's she going? Uh, she ain't coming back, you, you know? And not to mention a uh, little bastard number one. He, well, now he's got a little bit of, he, he gonna be going away for a while, right? You know, what What do they do to child murderers now? Think about it. Jesus Christ, man. Uh, bad, what a bad way to go. And, you know, The Exorcist, while a decent movie, and, you know, a little tame compared to most things nowadays, uh, I don't know. I never had a thought of emulating it. But you know, if my girl was ever possessed by the devil, would I go through it all to bring her back? Hell yeah, I would. But the funny part about that would be, though, I can't think of one. Anyway, because that'd be a lot of soup wasted. Now I think about it. And then I'd have to go ahead and read, like, Exorcism for Dummies and all that. It'd be wild as hell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. Uh, speaking of which, though, crazy story. I thought it was pretty good. Um, maybe that's a good way to start things up with a laugh. Uh, yeah. All right, next we have is called Thrill Ride. This theme park near my house has the greatest ride in the world. For the most part, it's pretty standard roller coaster, and though each cart only seats one person, the first hill is about 180 feet, which is a good drop, but certainly not a record setter. Three loop-de-loops, several sharp turns, one corkscrew turn, and one part where it looks kind of like a tunnel is going to knock your head off. Even though it's higher than it looks, and even freakishly tall people are in no danger. But what makes the Rickstaker 3000 so special is what happens once a day. It's maybe the first ride, maybe it's the last ride, or maybe it's the one of thousands of rides in between. You never know. But every day during one ride, the cart flies off the track and into a pool filled with hungry sharks. Isn't that amazing or what? The odds are overwhelmingly against you being on the cart that goes into the shark pool. Less than a tenth of one percent. And from there, at least half of the people are being able to swim to safety without taking so much as a bite. It's not a very big pool. Those who get attacked are pretty evenly divided between those who survive, perhaps with one fewer appendage, and those who die a horrible death in the bloody water. 
well, dude, you're over here playing the odds. I mean, what in the hell are you saying? You know? So, yeah, when you ride the Risk Taker 3000, you will almost certainly be totally fine. But I got to tell you, that minuscule chance that you're going to suffer a gruesome fate makes the ride infinitely more exciting. Your heart races like never before. You never knew you could scream so loud. Enough adrenaline pumps through your veins that you could probably lift an automobile to save a trapped child after you get off the ride. It makes every other roller coaster in the world look tame. The Gatekeeper at Cedar Point, El Toro at Six Flags, Kumba at Bush Gardens, Baby Coasters. If you're a serious roller coaster enthusiast, you know that Risk Taker 3000 is the best choice. The only choice. Do the people who lose an arm regret the experience? Sure, probably. But it's very, very, very unlikely that you'd be one of them. Everybody else staggers off the ride in a state of euphoria. Hell, some of them get right back in line. Disclaimer, providers will not honor your life insurance policy if you die on the ride. It's right there in the fine print under the wait time. I suppose that's fair. Even though you will almost definitely survive the experience, you shouldn't ride if your family can't afford to bury you. Enjoy the thrill, but be responsible. Seriously, they put in a commercial? Anyway, how many times have I ridden it? Well, let's see. It's been open for about two years. I got an annual pass. I come about three or four times a week. I ride it about three or four times a visit. So that's what, 52 weeks times two is 104. Three, three times 3.5 is, hold on, let me check my calculator at. Okay, it's 1,274 times, give or take. Oh, no, wait, I'm overestimating. Dude, you're already kind of killing my audience with this math. Uh, though they keep running the ride on days where the coaster jumps the track early. I don't bother to ride after that. Don't get me wrong, it's still a fun ride. But there's a reason the wait time drops from three hours to about ten minutes. It's just not the same. If we count early shark death days, I'd estimate that I've been on it about a thousand times. Does it get boring after a thousand rides? Not at all. I mean, yeah, it loses a bit of its power to terrify, but once you start getting up into the triple digits, you get a little jaded. You stop thinking, what if my cart goes into the pool of sharks? And start thinking, I'm sure my cart won't go into the pool of sharks. And sometimes, I'm only speaking for those who've ridden it like a thousand times, you need to spike it up. When I rock it down that first hill, there's only a one in six chance I'd actually blow my brains out. Five and six chance that it'll actually be a click that I probably won't even be able to hear over the roller coasters. Those are good odds. You'd probably bet a lot of money on those odds, but that moment of excitement will be unparalleled. Seriously, though? What the hell kind of story was that? Okay, so, so if anything, it's just an adrenaline junkie having a high. And all being concerned about, yeah, this is a safe ride, even though it's an unsafe territory. Even though at the same time I'm saying all these things, but chances are, you know, I'm really ready to maim myself. You know, the beautiful thing about roller coasters are that is that excitement. While things happen on roller coasters, like, you know, even Fabio managed to have a little run-in with an albatross while he was on one. Broke his damn face in. But then again, you can't blame the ride for that. He's just got a big friggin' face. Now, if you think about it, though, um... Looking into that right there, and once again, that story was kind of, meh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, they all can't be winners. Sometimes when you watch, like, an anthology film, you know, there's always that one that's kind of derp. But, you know, after a while, we'll go ahead and we'll find something else. Like, what's in the box? Okay, so here we go. What's in the box, Thomas Hastings demanded, frantically waving his revolver at Martin Veal. Martin gave him a slight smile. Why don't you open it and find out? No, just tell me, damn you. Don't make me shoot you. Very well, said Marvin. Inside the box is a severed head of your wife, Sasha. Hastings let out a sigh of relief. Marvin frowned. Did you just sigh? Yeah, why? Maybe you didn't hear me correctly. Your wife's head is in that box. Oh, no, I've just been bracing myself for something worse. Something worse? Like a bomb, Hastings said. If you'd have told me there was a bomb inside that box that was going to explode in 10 seconds, that would have been worse than my dead wife's head. Well, I guess maybe. Or maybe the nuclear football. You know that thing where the president can launch our missiles? If you'd have somehow gotten your hands on that and you had the codes and you were going to make me watch my five missiles at Kansas City or something like that, it would be objectively worse than having Sasha's head in there. I don't 
think the nuclear football work like that," said Marvin. "You can't ju you can't just steal it and control the United States missile arsenal. I'm pretty sure it takes two people, and they would have changed the codes by now." No, I meant like you having a nuclear football in there. All I'm saying is that I'm preparing myself for something that could cause a mass extinction event. So when you say it was Sasha's head, I thought, okay, that's not as bad as I expected. Don't get me wrong. It's still not marriage. You don't want to find out you know, your wife of 17 years has been decapitated by a serial killer and had no emotional reaction. I'm just saying that there are alternatives that could have been worse. Were you two having problems in your marriage? No, no. At some point that I'll drop to my knees and start wailing and stuff. You acting like I'm a sociopath. I don't think anything wrong with being relieved that it's one dead person instead of the human race as a whole. I mean, what kind of monster would I be if I thought, oh, look, he's going to go in there and wipe out all of humanity, but at least it wasn't Sasha's head in there. Oh, uh, I guess you're right. Are you pouting? No. Are you sure? You look like you're pouting. Your wife's head isn't in the box, Marvin admitted. I, I couldn't catch her. She she had a taser, but I figured I'd at least get you to scream no before you open the box for yourself. Yeah. So, what's actually in there? A, a cake. What kind of cake? Chocolate. I love chocolate cake, said Hastings. I know, but what is actually inside is a carrot cake, and you hate carrot cake. Well, it's, it's not one of my favorites, but I don't hate it. Liar! shouted Marvin. I did my research. You think carrot cake is totally nasty. Hastings shot him in the chest, and Marvin fell to the ground. Did you just sigh with relief? Hastings asked. No! Why the hell would I sigh with relief? You shot me. Well, I thought you might have thought I was going to shoot you in the face of the stomach or the kneecap. Do you know how much it hurt to get shot in the stomach? It way worse than getting shot in the chest. Open the box, Marvin said. Then he died. Hastings opened the box, bracing himself for the sight of the nasty carrot cake. He gazed into Sasha's dead eyes. No! <laughs> you know, like I said, that's not one of those rolling over Mickey kind of laugh kind of way, but it's also not one of those awkward <laughs> moving on kind of laughs either. I like to think that that was a pretty funny story. And see, the thing about it is, in case you were listening, like uh, like around here in DE, we always have a mix of accents like that. But we definitely got that damn southern accent all going in. You know what I mean? Like the sundown and you tell it like it is and all riding around here and everything. Going to go over there all the way to Annapolis, uh, Maryland. And go ahead and see what's happening over there at the Navy base and all. Not just the way it's going to be. But you know, at the end of the day, though, we work all this stuff out so you can go ahead and listen to all these other things that's going down. That's why that's a good story, and I figured I could go ahead and stretch out my voice out the muscles, simply by working with that stuff. I tried to go a little deeper for Hastings, while at the same time I tried to go quick and fast for Malvin. See what I'm saying? And it was actually pretty fun to do. And not only that, though, I thought this story was a lot better than that damn roller coaster story. But hey, got more to come up on this list right now. And not only that, guys, remember, they were comedies. It's okay to lighten up the show a little bit, even though we're going to be bringing more of that dark appeal. Because these next ones here, they are called Under Your Bed, 13 Terrifying Tales, made by Blair Daniels. So, we're going to listen to three stories from this. I will be reciting them for you, for your listening pleasures. Go get you some snacks. Alright, so I'm hoping you all managed to get your snacks in time. You probably did at the opening of this show. So let's go ahead and jump on in. Now, this is called The Virtual Interview. Let's jive in, shall we? I'm an alumni interviewer for my alma mater. This year, we've been conducting most of our interviews online. It's been a lot of fun until I got Casey. On paper, Casey looked like a great fit for our college. 
Great ACT scores. <laughs> I remember those. Lots of extracurriculars and some prestigious art awards. As soon as she joined the video call, I knew it wasn't going to go well. She was using one of those awful beauty filters, when you don't like snap cam, during an interview. And not a basic one with lipstick and eyeshadow. One of those creepy subtle ones that make your eyes slightly bigger and your skin unnaturally smooth. I try to ignore it. Try to pretend like she didn't look like some mannequin woman come to life. So, Casey, why do you think you would be a good fit for Cardinal University? I asked, of course, in a smile. I love the art program, she said. As she spoke, the filter seemed to glitch. Her mouth moved strangely as she formed the words. Must be that teeth whitening filter. Her teeth were white, like glowing white, like Ross from that one episode of Friends White. Never watched Friends, so it must be scary as hell. Or ridiculous. Okay, so you love the art program. What is it about you like? I love the program's focus on real-life models. Okay, at least she was prepared. Researching our specific program meant she was pretty interested. I jotted down a note. Seems interested. What kind of art do you specialize in? I like to paint. You like to paint what, specifically? Portraits or landscapes? Faces. Oh, like portrait? No, I like to paint faces, she said in this aggressive tone, like she was correcting me, and annoyed that I made such an egregious error. I almost asked, what's the difference? But I decided against it because it might make me look stupid. Um, okay, uh, that's really neat, I jotted down. Like to paint faces, not portraits, faces. Why do you like to paint portraits, I mean faces? I think they're fascinating, she replied, her two large eyes boring into mine. Okay, that, that's good. Kind of a strange personality. I added to my notes. Tell me, Casey, what do you like to do in your spare time? For me, this was the perfect barometer of a candidate. Lots of smart-ass kids would try to outsmart me on this one and say things like learn or read books or try to cure cancer. Others were totally oblivious and answered things like, Partying with friends or Instagram. The really good ones were in the middle. The ones that say things like hiking or playing piano or visiting grandma. She stared at me for a moment, the light in her eyes strangely elliptical from the filter stretching them out. Then her mouth opened, her lips moving strangely over her two white teeth. I like to paint faces. But what else do you do in your free time? She paused, her face blank, almost like she was confused by the questions. Do you maybe like to hike or hang out with friends or faces are just so fascinating to me? She interrupted, her tone soft. Well, not in the way I read that crap. The way the nose protrudes from the cheeks, the way the eyes glisten in the night, um, the way the mouth stretches and curves, showing so many different expressions. She continued, her tone growing faster, frenzied almost. The emptiness of the forehead, the intensity of the eyelashes, the curve of the chin, the... I held up a hand. Uh, yes, I understand. You like to paint faces, but, but can you... I trailed off. This girl was really weird. Half of me wanted to click the end call button right now with no explanation, but I had a duty, right? I don't know, pal. Depends on how much you're paid. A duty to fairly interview this girl and write up a letter about her to the admissions committee. Here, how about this? If you had the next 24 hours off and unlimited money, what would you do? She smiled, lips stretching to show off those bright, bright, eerie white teeth. I made a face, she said, smiling wider by the second. Yours! Chills creep down my butt. What? I'd paint your face, she continued. I've been looking for a new one. And yes, the brightness of your blue eyes, the curl in your hair, the soft lines around your eyes that show wisdom. It's perfect, perfect, perfect. I clicked and call. Then I sat there, half terrified, half perplexed, staring at my desktop, my fingers on the touchpad, ice cold. I filed a police report and did everything in my power to find Casey, but I got no answers. It was like she didn't even exist outside her college application or our little interview. 
Even the main admissions office couldn't track her down. They told me all of her application materials have been anonymously filed. The metadata on her documents completely wiped. I slowly convinced myself the whole thing was a dumb prank. She probably put the whole interview on TikTok or something. Kids these days. It was three weeks after our interview that I found it. While on video call with a friend, I noticed a filter I had never seen before. With a name that was a string of random characters. A thumbnail that was a blank screen. And I can't help but wonder if it's watching me. Studying me. Learning to paint my face. Okay. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Wild, man. Wild. I like that one. That, that That's alright. Because you never know who's really trying to take your face off. So you might want to be aware of how them selfies you be taking. And then that goes for my black ass too. But you know right then and there, that's like... Mm. That's on point, because, you know, you never know who you're talking to on them virtual interviews. I mean, for real, for real. So, it's like one of them kind of things, you know? Uh, let's see what else is in the um, asylum tonight. All right, this next one here is interesting. Maybe this will be one for you ladies. The painting my husband keeps. When my husband and I got married and moved in together, we had a few fights. On personal space, on chores, and on decor. Namely, my husband insisted on keeping this weird painting of a woman. Who is she, I asked when I first saw it, lean against the mountain of moving boxes. Dunno, I got it at Rummichelle. It was an original painting, oil, I think, judging by the way the light reflected off the brush strokes. It depicted a young woman standing in a dark room, looking over her shoulder at the viewer. She was actually rather beautiful, blonde hair falling over her shoulders like a waterfall. A white cotton dress, a dainty heart-shaped face that was somehow haunting rather than cute. She was illuminated brightly, but the room behind her was dark. The contrast in her pose reminded me a little bit of a girl with a pearl earring. But it didn't feel classy or pensive or beautiful. Instead, it felt creepy. Especially because my husband insisted on hanging it above our bed. Oh, that's weird. I mean, it's a beautiful painting, I said, but it just doesn't fit with the modern decor. Neither do your Funko Pops. <laughs> wow, that's such, a, that's such a retort. Okay, but they're small. This painting is enormous for Pete's sake. The woman is nearly life-size. I want to keep her where she is. It seemed like a big deal to him, so I dropped it. But it wasn't easy. Sometimes I woke up in the middle of the night with the horrible feeling I was being watched. And then I look up and see her haunting gray eyes staring down at me. That is pretty bad. I didn't get much sleep after that. And then there was the one time, I swear she moved. Was her hand always like that, I asked Eric, after getting into bed one night? Hmm? Her left hand. The fingers are kind of open, reaching out behind her, like she's waiting for someone to grab her hand. Yeah, she was always like that. I could have sworn she wasn't always like that. Then again, I generally avoided looking at the painting. It was so uncomfortably realistic. When I stared into those gray eyes, it was almost like I was making eye contact with a person. I lasted two weeks, and then I begged Eric to move it. Can we please move the painting somewhere else? I really hate looking at it when I'm going to sleep. It's the nicest piece of art we have. It belongs above the bed. What about the sunflower one? That's just a print, and it's so basic, he complained. Come on, I'll move my Funko Pops out if you move the painting out. <sighs> He leaved alongside. Fine, I'll move her. That was another thing. He often referred to the painting as her. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. So he moved it to the stairs, but honestly, that was worse. Every time I went downstairs, there she was, staring at me from above the landing with those piercing gray eyes. At least when the painting was in the bedroom. I was usually asleep or facing the opposite direction. I hit my brinking point a few days after that. Yeah, I'll say. For some reason, I couldn't sleep. After tossing and turning for an hour, I decided to grab a snack downstairs. I got to the top of the stairs, and there she was. I hadn't turned on the main lights. Only the nightlight in the hall bathroom was on. With everything so dark, 
The background of the painting melted into the shadows, but the woman stood out with her pale face and white dress, and my stupid, sleepy brain intercepted it as an actual person standing there. I jumped about a foot in the air, and I would have fallen all the way down the stairs had I not caught the banister at the last second. Can we please get rid of that painting? I asked the next morning. Eric turned away from the stove and set the spatula down. Why? Last night, it scared the frick out of me. I nearly fell down the stairs. He stared at me as if unable to understand. She scared you? He asked slowly. Well, more like startled me. I thought it was an actual person standing there. He looked at me, and then he broke into laughter. <laughs> then again, my evil laugh ain't going to work for this story. And after a few seconds, I started laughing too. It was pretty stupid that I thought about it. I know I was sleepy, but still, I thought the painting was a person. What? Did I think that we were being burglarized by a young, beautiful, blonde woman in a nightdress? Hey, stranger things have happened. For now, I'll move her into my office and you don't have to look at her at all. That sounds good, I agreed. And for a while after that, things were okay. I've sort of noticed Eric spending more time in his office than usual. But he also had a big deadline for a brief coming up. And what? How would he, that be related to the painting anyway? It's not like he was staring at her for hours on end. Except that's exactly what I caught him doing. One night, he didn't come downstairs to eat dinner with me. I called up to him a few times, no reply. So I went upstairs and walked into his office to find him staring at her. He was just sitting there, with his computer closed, no papers on the desk. Swivel chair turned towards the woman in the painting. Oh, he said suddenly when I walked in. Then he quickly stood up. I was just about to come down. Too easy, man. Just sent in the brief a few minutes ago. They are really happy with it. I bet. He smiled broadly at me as if nothing were wrong, and then he slipped past me. I listened to his footsteps thump down the stairs. Had he actually just finished working? Or was he just sitting in here, staring at her? I ultimately decided not to bring it up. The painting was out of my sight, and that was great. Besides, I had bigger fish to fry, like my own deadline coming up for an article I haven't even started. But then on Friday afternoon, I accidentally overheard him on the phone. His voice was muffled through the thick wooden door, but it wasn't hard to hear him. He was shouting, Almost. I'll have it in by tonight. No, I knew it was due on Wednesday. When my wife fell down the stairs, I had to take her to the hospital. Those words sent a chill through me. I barged in. Why are you lying about me falling down the stairs? His face paled. He ended the call and turned towards me. I'm so sorry, Tara. I needed that an excuse. I missed the deadline on that brief, and it's my job on the The brief you told me you finished two days ago? He nodded silently. I crossed my arms. Look, Eric, your work is your business. But we spent, like, all of one hour together all week because you've been locked in here all day, every day. I mean, are you even working, or are you just sitting in here staring at her? His dark eyes locked onto mine, and then his voice grew soft. You were jealous of her. What? You shouldn't be, Tara, he said, stepping towards me. The painting makes her prettier than she was. I froze, stared at him. Then I finally found the words. Are you saying... This is a painting of someone you know? No, he said slowly. So, sorry, I, I misspoke. I meant whoever this is a portrait of. I'm sure it's a flattering likeness. All portraits are flattering like that. I stared at him, my heart pounding in my chest. Who's this a painting of, Eric? I told you it's not Eric. I stepped towards him. My legs felt weak, wobbling underneath me. Who is this a painting of? He only shook his head. I couldn't sleep that night. I know it sounds silly being so worked up over a painting, but you have to admit it was weird. He was obsessed with this thing, for whatever reason. Why didn't I see the painting when we were dating? Did he hide it away in the basement? That was the one place I'd never been. Had he built a little shrine down there? Paintings, candles, the whole nine yards. The thought of it made me sick. Is it an ex-girlfriend, an ex-wife? Even that he never told me about. Getting a painting commission must have cost a fortune, especially a huge detail one like this. I mean, as much as I hated that thing, it was clearly done by someone incredibly gifted. The glint in those piercing gray eyes, the small dimple on her right cheek, but clearly he wasn't keeping it to appreciate the artistry. He knew her. 
And whoever she is, he's obsessed with her. Then I got the craziest idea. I sat up in bed slowly, quietly, turned to Eric. He was fast asleep, then I slipped out from underneath the covers, grabbed my phone from the nightstand, and tiptoed out the room. My bare feet padded softly against the hallway as I made my way towards his office. Then I pushed the heavy wooden door open and stepped inside. The office was cold, much colder than our bedroom. Goosebumps pricked up my bare arms, but I didn't waste any time. I reached over, fumbling against the wall, and hit the switch. The light flicked on. The blonde woman stared down at me from the wall. Her eyes seemed to follow me as I took Eric's leather chair and dragged it across the hardwood. Once against the wall, I stepped up onto it, and we were staring at each other face to face. I've never been this close to the painting before. My face inches from her. This close. I could truly appreciate the detail. Each individual eyelash painstakingly drawn, curving up from its follicle, thread-like strands of light and dark gray filling her irises, her skin so pale and creamy, dotted with the tiniest of pores. But I wasn't here to appreciate the artwork. I lifted up my phone and took a picture, and then I brought up a reverse image search. And it took a few minutes for me to find the right website and upload the photo, but when the results loaded, I gasped expected one, maybe one result if I was lucky. Sort of a facial recognition that would match the painted face to a photo. Or maybe the artist's website would come up, and not to mention the subject was. But instead, dozens of thumbnails fill the page of the exact same painting I've been staring at for weeks. Fingers trembled. I clicked on the first one. It led to a news article. Search continues for missing Franklin art student. My heart dropped. Little black dots danced in my vision. I collapsed into the chair behind me, trembling, and began to read. Anya Kelsling, 23, went missing after a hike with her boyfriend. The two became separate when they came upon a bear. Her backpack was found roughly a mile from where the sighting occurred, but no trace of Anna was found. And under the caption of the painting says, Kelsing is a third-year student at Franklin College, majoring in fine arts. She recently completed a self-portrait that was exhibited at Le Coir above. I clicked on the next article, and the next but they all said the same thing. Hike, bear, disappearance. All of them showed a photo along with her self-portrait. She looked strikingly identical to her painted likeness. None of them mentioned the boyfriend's name, but it had to be Eric. The most recent article from five years ago was a video clip of her parents begging for her search to continue. And sadly, judging by the news articles, it never did. I don't know how long I sat there. All I know is, is that I suddenly jolted from my thoughts by a loud thump in the hallway. Footsteps coming towards the office. I shot up. He can't find me here. I glanced around the room looking for some place, any place that I could hide, but it was probably too late. Surely it seemed the light on from under the door. I ducked under the desk just as he stepped into the room. Tara? I clapped my hand over my mouth trying to silence my rag breathing. He's going to see the chair out of place. He knows I'm here. He knows. Tara, you in here? Why did I hide? I could have just said I came here because I heard a noise, needed a pen, couldn't sleep. Why the F did I hide? And now he's going to know that I know. Tara? But maybe it's fine. Maybe the bear got Anya. Maybe Eric had nothing to do with it. Isn't it more likely to, isn't that more likely than Eric being a murderer? There you are. I looked up and screamed. Eric was crouched there in front of the desk, staring at me. I, I, I was looking for a pen. I stuttered lamely. I wanted to write down. I, I remember I had to pick up groceries tomorrow and needed to add something. He tilted his head, a small smile on his lips. I don't think that's the truth, Tara. Make a break for it, I thought. I started to lunge out from under the desk. His hand quickly shot out and grabbed my wrist. Hard. You figured out who she is, didn't you? That's the only reason you'd be hiding from me. I trembled in his grasp. What did you do to her? I whispered. He let out a dry laugh. Ah! Okay, okay, I won't do that no more. So you think I'm a murderer? How nice. That's the first conclusion you jumped to? No, no, I don't think you're a murderer, I swallowed. Stupid, stupid, stupid. If he killed her and he knows you know, then you're dead too. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean that. Just what happened? They didn't find a body. Did the bear get her? He didn't reply. Just stared at me. 
silently with those cold, dark eyes. I was jealous, I continued, desperately. But now I understand. I wish you'd told me. To lose someone like that, of, of course you'd want to keep the painting. It's all you have of her. You should have just left it alone. He said, his voice oddly emotionless. I'm sorry you had to find out this way. I screamed as he lunged for me. It's over. His hands clenched tight on my wrist as he dragged me out from under the desk. I pulled back trying to wrench myself free, but it was no use. Thump! A loud crash sounded behind us. Eric whipped around and for a split second his grip released. I acted instantly, pulled free from him and ran, pivoting around the desk and racing towards the door. As I glanced back, I saw Eric starting right after me. But I also saw what made the noise. The painting of Anya had fallen from the wall and laid askew on the floor, her gray eyes staring emptily up towards. I was always a fast runner. Eric was only halfway down the stairs by the time I was at the bottom, bursting out into the cold air. I began to scream. He grabbed me from behind and tried to pull me back inside, but it was too late. Lights were flicking on. Our neighbor rushed out of his house, dialing 911. It was over. The police arrested Eric for assault, and once I told him my story of his obsession with Anya's painting, they were able to search our house, and hidden in his office drawer in a small box was a pair of gold earrings, the same gold earrings Anya wore on the hike that day. The case is slowly mounting against him. I'm hoping, praying, Anya gets justice and that a jury convicts him of her horrible murder. And would he have done the same to me if I hadn't escaped? If Anya's painting hadn't fallen off of the wall? There was an explanation, of course. When Eric had moved the painting into his office, he mistakenly installed one of the hangers in the pure drywall. The weight of the painting had caused it to rip out and the painting fell. But sometimes I think Anya was watching over me, that her self-portrait carried a piece of her, and that night she protected me from falling victim to the monster who ended her life. The painting now hangs up in my foyer. Every day I walk by it and new details pop out at me, the deep shadowy green of the room behind her, a perfectly painted strand of blonde hair and the glint in her piercing gray eyes. And sometimes I think she's smiling back at me. Very good, huh? <laughs> nice now that's wonderful that's a good like i love happy endings and that was a pretty good story even for monster fest you know we usually try to have those not everybody needs to die all the time and you know what that's a nice light-hearted piece but you know we can't go off on that one so we'll have one more story to happen and while we're on the subject here uh hope you guys are enjoying tonight we do have another special episode happening tonight, which uh, I would like to let you guys have a little surprise about it, but you might want to take a look at the YouTube channel um, before then. You see what I'm saying? Of course, that one will be at 10 o'clock tonight in the normal time. Oh, that being said, better get ready to jump back into the next story. Alrighty, last but not least, our final story will take us to Myth and Legends. Well, no, it's not. It's called Urban Legends, and it's called Myths, Mysteries, and Bizarre Tales of UFOs, Monsters, and Strange Things by the legend James Proud. And I really do love this book, man. It's one of my favorite books to read. But I also have to remember what story I haven't read to you guys. And this particular one is called The Smith Sisters. So, let's take a listen, right? A boy from Wisconsin called Ben was, like all his friends, addicted to his computer he would spend every evening playing games online and chatting with his mates. One evening, he was up late, way past his bedtime, and everyone else in the house was asleep. He was looking for people to chat with when strange messages started appearing on his screen, claiming to be from a pair of twin sisters who started chatting about games. Then they say that they were his siblings. He told them that was impossible. He was the only child. So they explained that they were very much his older sisters and that his parents were keeping their existence from him. Ben was slightly scared, but for some reason he couldn't stop talking to the mysterious bear and stayed up all night messaging back and forth. They had told him that they had once lived in his house, but he still didn't believe them. And even though they had answered tricky questions about the building and about his parents, chillingly they claimed that they used to sleep in the very same room he was sleeping in. When he asked where they lived now, they were silent for several minutes, and then the conversation took a far more sinister turn. We don't live anywhere, they said. W what do you mean? There's something you don't know. We died 15 years ago. Lol, that's not even funny. We aren't joking. We were killed 15 years ago in that bed behind you right now. 
Okay, I'm turning my PC off now, he warned. He pretended that he wasn't scared, but he was. If you don't believe us, look on top of the wardrobe. We both carved our names on top of it on the day we died. He clambered up onto his bed and stretched up to see the top of the wardrobe. He wiped away the thick dust, which made him sneeze, and he could see scratches in the wood, and he pulled himself higher and looked closer. Scrawled in the surface was the note J&J, 4-5-1992. What are your names, he asked. In reply, an old newspaper article appeared on his screen. The photograph showed two smiling young girls, and the caption dated May 1992 said that the Smith sisters, Janie and Jackie, were murdered by a suspected intruder in their beds at home in the middle of the night. They were stabbed and hidden in a wardrobe. The killer was never found. The only clues were a series of mysterious messages left on the girls' computers. Are you Janie and Jenny, Ben asked, trying to catch them out? Don't be smart. You know who we are, they replied. Ben did not reply to them again, and however, he couldn't drag himself away from the screen. The Smith sisters were becoming increasingly angry, complaining about how their parents should have never had more children, and about how they had been forgotten. At this point, Ben lost his nerve, unplugged his computer from the wall, plugged in his headphones, and pulled the bed covers over his head. In the morning, he wondered if it all had been a dream and went downstairs to get some breakfast. There was nobody around, which was odd for a weekend, and nobody responded when he called. He went upstairs to his parents' bedroom, expecting to find them still asleep, but the bed was empty. He looked out of the window to the yard, but no one was there. Then he saw a mark on the carpet under the wardrobe, some kind of dark liquid. As he went to open the wardrobe, he froze and feared. He called out again, Mom? Dad? Then he opened the door, and his parents' bodies tumbled out on top of him, covered in blood. Oh, damn. Oh, man, Benny is going to have one hell of a morning, isn't he? You know, it's so sad to see that happen to a poor, unfortunate kid. But, hey, you know, um, it's a very, very interesting night, right? <laughs> I felt the chill from that one. You know, I was really rooting for him, too, but... And what a real terrible way to end the episode. But we're out of time, guys, and we need to go ahead and wrap this one up. So, um... Hmm. But don't worry, you guys aren't scared. You're brave. You're some of the bravest people here. You're a part of the J360 Legion. And what the hell is that behind you? If you looked, I win. <laughs> but all in all, though, you guys take it easy, all right? We'll have more monster explosions and celebrations throughout the rest of the month going into November. But until then, you guys take it easy. This is J-Man signing off. Peace. Peace.